Um, it's great to be with you this weekend. My name is Eli Finley. I'm the youth pastor here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and I'm thankful to be preaching for you this weekend. Pastor Charlie is on vacation. He's not sick, I promise. When I preached for you in December, it was because he was sick. I promise you, he's all good. Everybody's healthy. We're all safe. This one was planned, okay? This time it was planned, and we're ready to go this morning. Um, I'm going to preach to you out of the book of 1 Peter this morning. So if you guys want to head towards 1 Peter in your Bibles, if you have them, if you don't, don't worry about it. The words will come up on the screen as we read the scripture this morning. Um, this, If you had heard me preach over the last year or so, especially in the year 2020, um, I was kind of just walking through the book of James. Kind of, it was like our sermon series on the side, right? I would just walk through James whenever I was filling in for Pastor Charlie. Well, I'd kind of finished through that book and turned the page over and there was 1 Peter. I was like, well, I'm going to read 1 Peter now. And I was just really, really encouraged and felt a really a breath of fresh air uh, from reading the book of First Peter. And so I wanted to just share that with you. So are you guys okay if I just share some encouragement with you this morning? Are we good with this? Good. I'm glad we're on the same page here today. So I'm going to be preaching from First Peter kind of whenever I'm filling in for Pastor Charlie. So if you ever want to read ahead, you're welcome to do so. Read ahead in First Peter. Um, let me give you some background on this book. So uh, it's written by Peter, i.e. it's called First Peter. Um, this is the same Peter that followed Jesus around for his earthly ministry for about three years or so. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times the night before Jesus was crucified. Uh, this is the same Peter that Jesus uh, cooked breakfast for and then, and then brought him back into the ministry and restores him threefold times just as Peter had denied him three times. It's just a beautiful story in John chapter 1. And it's kind of with some of these stories, having this background of knowing who Peter is, that we can read his letter and know that this is coming from the same guy. This is coming from the same guy that we've seen the mistakes and blunders that he has, but we've, we've also heard and seen the stories in Acts when he's this amazing leader of the church and really leading uh, the early Christian church. And in fact, um, the, the Catholic faith would believe that he is, quote unquote, the first pope. He was one of the first leaders of the church. And so it's, it's helpful for us to have that background as we approach the scripture today. He's writing this letter um, in like the early 60s AD from, from Rome, okay? And so at this time in Rome, uh, things are kind of heating up for Christians. Persecution is starting to happen. In fact, within three to five years of Peter writing this letter, he's gonna be martyred for his faith. He's, he's actually, tradition tells us that he's crucified upside down. We can't exactly confirm that, but that's what tradition would tell us. So Peter is gonna be killed for his faith very soon after writing uh, this letter. And so he, he even acknowledges that uh, here in, the, in some of the passages that we'll read today, that persecution for our faith is something that is going to happen. It's going to be part of our story, but he writes with a reminder of encouragement. And so uh, in this letter, and we'll read the greeting in just a moment, we hear like to the areas that he's writing to. He tells us where he's sending his letter, but we don't exactly hear who he's writing his letter to. And anytime there's like a gray area in scripture, scholars want to argue about it. And so there's a lot of people who think he's just writing to Christian Jews. There's a lot of people that he's, think he's just writing to Christian Gentiles. Uh, and in my opinion, which is uneducated, I'll admit, but I don't think it really matters. Uh, and it's actually because of the greeting that we'll read together. I believe that Peter is actually calling us into a larger idea of the term family. I, I think he's calling us into a larger idea of this, that it's not just based on your bloodline or your genealogy, but it's actually based on the faith that we have and that we share in Jesus himself. And so this greeting is really, really dense, but, but, but uh, we're going to read through it together, and it's actually going to help shape the message uh, that we have through the next few verses. So let me go ahead and just read this greeting to you. Uh, so 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen 
living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So maybe dense was not a big enough word to describe all of these other words that Peter is using right here as he's writing a greeting. And, and at this point, kind of my thoughts are like, Peter, why couldn't we just say, you know, hello, good morning, greetings, I'm Peter, Jesus loves you. We could have simplified the message in this way. And so, and so this is actually a really, I mean, technical bit of writing. I mean, we got foreknowledge, sanctifying, and sprinkled with the blood, these phrases and words that are really easy to just kind of get stuck on. We see these words and we're like, man, now I'm going to skip over this verse real quick and see if it tells me, explains to me later on. It's really easy to do this, um, especially because we don't use these words very often in, in our day-to-day lives. I don't know how often you're thinking of the idea of being, you know, blood sprinkled on you. I don't know how often that comes up in your day-to-day life. For me, I don't think of it often. Uh, but even this phrase is a reference to the Old Testament, to the high priests and how they would cover the mercy seat with the sprinkled blood of, of animal sacrifices, and it was supposed to cover the people's sins. And in the same way, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's, that's what Peter is referencing here. Uh, but each of these little phrases and words are, are, aren't really the subject of why he's teaching. It's not really the subject of what he's going to teach about. It's not really the subject of, of, of the message he's trying to give. Each of these three little ideas that, that were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, that were sanctified by his spirit to be obedient and sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, none of those things are the subject of his message. In fact, if, if we kind of take a step back, bird's eye view here, and think about the message what he's trying to communicate here, he's making claims about who the followers of Jesus are. That's it. He's saying, you, as followers of Jesus, you're chosen. And that's the only word that he repeats twice in this small little uh, part of the scripture. He repeats it twice that we are chosen. And so that's, that's what he wants to remind us of as he continues this letter. He says, hello, greetings, I'm Peter. Jesus loves you, and he has chosen you. He has chosen you. And maybe, you've, you know, maybe you're here today and you've never heard that before. But God has chosen you. He has chosen you because he loves you. And he has come to ransom that's what, that which he has chosen through the life and work of Jesus, him dying on the cross and raising again after three days. That is the proof that he has chosen us. And that's what Peter's backdrop is. That's what he wants to remind us of as we open and read the rest of the letter. So that being said, let me go ahead and just read to you uh, our verses that we're going to talk through today uh, and, and kind of uh, give us a background of what it means to have an identity in Christ um, and, and to be encouraged with reminders of the rest of Scripture. And so let me read to you First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 real quick for us. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And so this is a very dense passage of scripture. Peter is saying he's making so many claims about what it means to follow Jesus, about the identity of the followers of Jesus. And, and I've been reading on this and, and meditating on this and thinking on, on this passage of scripture for the last few weeks. And, and I've kind of come up with a phrase, uh, a guiding phrase for what the message that Peter is trying to communicate to us today. It kind of ties the themes of this passage together. And so I want to share that with you. And then, and then we will walk through kind of those themes separately. So let me uh, uh, kind of give you the main message of what Peter is saying to us today is that in Christ, we have a new hope based on a new identity as we enter into a new family. We have a new hope based on a new identity as we enter a new family. And this is what Peter is calling us to. This is why he reminds us that we're chosen, that we have a new identity. And he sets before us the hope of what our future is. And he reminds us of the family that we come from. He reminds us of the story that God is telling that we get to be a part of. That's, he's doing so many different things in this small passage of scripture. Uh, so let's start with the first one. Let's talk about having a new hope. And so at the very beginning in verses three through five, Peter starts talking about this new birth, right? He says, you have a new birth into a living hope. And then another verse down, he says, you, you're, you're, you have a new birth into a living hope and into another inheritance. So there's kind of two things that he mentions here that, that we kind of gain as we come into the family of Christ. It's a new birth into a living hope. And this living hope, he says, is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope because Jesus did not remain dead. Amen? We don't have a dead hope because Jesus rose from that grave. He came down. He was fully perfect. He, he brought God's kingdom here to be near with us, that we might also be representatives of that kingdom. He lives a perfect life. He allows the violence of other men to overtake him, and he pays the price for our sin debt, but does not remain dead. And he shows that he has power over death and sin enough that he can raise from the grave after three days and invite us into a relationship with him. And that is the beauty of the gospel that he's sharing. And, and that's all the backdrop when Peter says that we have a new birth, we have a living hope. It's based on a man. This living hope is not based on stocks. This new hope is not based on a football team. This new hope is not based on any outside factors. It's based on the man, Jesus himself. He reminds us of that, and he calls us into, into a forward thinking about our new hope. So we have the present hope, right, which is, which is Jesus' work and what he's done for us now, that, that we, can, we can live in that reality now. But he also reminds us of a hope that's coming, and he says that we have a new birth into living hope and also into a new inheritance. And this is really like familial language, right? Where else would we receive an inheritance except from, from our family, right? And he reminds us of this inheritance that we're headed towards, this inheritance that, is, that we're headed towards. And he says that this inheritance is a few different things, right? So, so in the verse after, he kind of names what it is. This inheritance is salvation, 
It's salvation that God offers us. And it's interesting because salvation is experienced now. We experience the grace right now, in our day right now. But we also get to experience it later on. And we get to experience the redemption that God has for us. And he says that this inheritance, this salvation, is a few different things. He says that it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for us. So those are the four kind of characteristics about this salvation, this inheritance, right? It, it's pure. It's, it's waiting for us. He keeps it in his own hand, waiting for us. He holds these things in his hands. And then in the very next verse, uh, Peter says that you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. So in these two verses, he lets us know that our future, our future inheritance, and our present day now, our, our, our own protection right now, both of these things are being held in God's hand, and that's why we can have certainty in this. That's why we can have certainty about what our future is, certainty about the hope that we have. Our hope is based on the certainty that God's going to fulfill the promises that he has for us. We've seen evidence of him doing that, but our hope is still based on the fact that he will fulfill those promises. And the only reason the only reason that any of these things about our inheritance, about the life we live now, the only reason any of these things are possible is because of God's involvement. I promise you, if, if my salvation was in my hands, if it was in my hands, it would not be imperishable. It wouldn't be imperishable. It wouldn't be undefiled because I'm not pure. I'm a sinner, just like every one of us in this room. Okay? If my salvation was in my hands, it would not be pure. It would be defiled. It wouldn't be unfading. Okay, the returns would diminish if, if salvation was in my hands. The fact that it's kept in heaven makes it certain for me. The fact that I can trust God with it makes it certain for me. So God is holding both of these things in, our, in his hands through his power. He's holding us and he's holding our inheritance. And so our hope is tied to that certainty, the certainty of our future. In this new hope, we have a certain future. And so I want to share this story with you. Um, in, in the 1980s, there was this, uh, this businessman, his name uh, is Eugene Lang, and some of you may have heard this story before, and there's actually, uh, what, what Eugene Lang does has actually been repeated by many people through time since this has happened, but he was one of the first people to do this. Eugene Lang was a businessman, he was very, very wealthy, and he was asked to do a commencement speech for like 50 or 60 sixth graders in the year 1981. Uh, and what he does is he, he's writing down all these things that he wants to share with them, business principles, you know, life principles, things, things about, you know, never give up type stuff. And, uh, and he's giving this speech for sixth graders who are in the inner city of New York City. Okay, so, so they're marginalized kids. They're kids that, that do not see a lot of people going to college or, or don't have a lot of family that's educated or have really good jobs or anything like that. And so he kind of approaches this situation, uh, Mr. Lang does, and, and he he kind of realizes, man, all of these business principles, I, I need to just speak to these kids from the heart. That's what they need from me. I, I need to speak to them from the heart. And so he, he, he speaks to them, and he just really loves on them in this speech, right? And then he promises them, if you will stay in school, if you will graduate high school, and if you get accepted into college, I'll pay for it for you. So this is like, he's like one of the first people to have ever done this. The year is 1981. Uh, and so uh, of these students, it kind of 
takes a little bit for it to dawn on them that he's promising them a certainty in their future. It takes a while for it to dawn on them, but just about 90% of the students that were in that room that day go on to graduate high school, which is a way higher number than any of those uh, inner city schools were seeing at the time that, that Eugene, Lang's give, Eugene Lang gives this speech. And it's because these kids finally have hope. There's this one kid uh, who's quoted later on as saying, um, he said, it, at first he didn't realize kind of what was happening, but he says, later reflecting on it, he says that it was the first time he had felt hope. It was the first time that he knew that he had felt hope. And for us, we have a hope because of the certainty of our future. So just as these students finally knew that they had a future that they were working towards, that gave them hope. In the same way, we know the inheritance that God is offering us. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's kept in heaven for us. Because of that certain future, we have a hope and a joy today. In fact, in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus was able to bear the cross because of the joy that was set before him. It was because of the joy that Jesus knew he was going to have a united family, that this love that he had for all of creation, all of humanity, he knew that through his work, through the cross, he would be able to unify us again. That was the hope and the joy that was able to pull him through going through the cross. The same joy is available to us. We get to carry that same joy ahead of us, not just in the future, but right now in our day today. It's like I said when I, when I prayed for us earlier in the middle of worship, whatever it is that we're carrying with us today, we can leave it at the foot of the cross and, and we can not pick it up with us when we leave church today. Why? Because we have a joy that is based on a future that is certain, a future that is certain, an inheritance that comes from God himself. And so this is this idea of a new hope. And this new hope is based on a new identity. And these two kind of concepts really, really interweave well. And so this new hope, it changes who we are in the, t in, in the now, in the today, right? This new hope gives us a new identity because we begin to, to identify ourselves with Jesus and with his work. And this gives us that hope. And actually, the scripture kind of transitions here. Um, so verses 3 through 5 happen. Peter talks about this new hope we have, this inheritance that we have. And then it kind of switches over. In verse 6, Peter says that we rejoice in this living hope, this God-given inheritance. We rejoice in those things even though we're facing difficulty in our day. Even though we're facing the trials that we're walking through, we still have joy because of this inheritance. And see, the fact is that if, that if we're followers of Christ, this will bring about difficulty in our lives. And, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and I, and I hope that no one has told you different, um, but coming to Christ, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior is not going to solve the problems that we have here that we walk through. It's not going to do that. It will give us a certainty and a hope in our future. It gives us a joy here in the present, but it doesn't solve all of our problems. And see, for, for the people that Peter's writing to, they already have an understanding that coming to Christ is not going to solve their problems. Why? Because they're already being persecuted for their faith. They're already being harassed for their faith. And the it really shouldn't surprise us that this is what's going on. It shouldn't surprise us at all. Uh, in fact, um, the Apostle Paul also talks about this a lot. And so in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, Really, really famous passage of scripture is the armor of God, right? We, we've all heard about the armor of God. Well, the preamble to the armor, armor of God is a really, really important set of scripture, and I'd like to read it to you. Um, Paul talks about the Christian existence, and he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens, all right? Very famous passage of scripture. If we would just go up to that, to that phrase that he starts with in the second sentence, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And, and we realize, if we take a step back for a moment, Paul just describes the entire Christian existence as a struggle, the entirety of what we will go through as Christians, our fight, our, our, the way we live, it is going to be a struggle. Our stories are going to have struggle. They will have difficulty. But the Christian mindset, this is where we come back to Peter, the Christian mindset he reminds us is that there is a purpose for these things. There is a purpose for our struggle, even when we can't see it in the middle of it. There is a purpose for the things that we walk through. And it's the refining of our faith. That's what Peter says. He says uh, that, the, the, that through the difficulties of our life, through these trials, our faith is refined. And Peter's example is gold. And this is, this is a concept that has been preached about many, many different times. I know I've even mentioned it a few times, but the idea of purifying gold meant that you had to heat it up so hot that it was melted down, right? It was in its liquid form, and the impurities would kind of float to the top. You'd scoop it out, and then you'd kind of let it... Uh, re-harden and solidify again, and then you'd melt it again, and then the other impurities would rise to the top. And so it was a process of over and over and over and over, you were reheating this gold to where it was liquefied. You'd scoop off the top the impurities and take it out of there, and it took a really long process to get gold to be pure. And that's, that's the comparison that Peter's making, is that through the fire, through difficulties, through what we're walking through today, it is refining our faith. And that is the Christian mindset, is knowing that there is a purpose for the things that we're walking through. There's purpose for us, the refining of our faith. But there's also a light at the end of the tunnel. It's like I said before, this, this certainty of our future gives us a joy that we know, we know that God is using our difficulties today to produce a, a deeper faith, to help us to learn more about who he is, to learn more about ourselves as well. But, but this refining of our faith, it's not, it's not just for kicks, okay? It's not for grins and giggles. It's not just a fun experiment that God thought he would try to do. No, the refining of our faith helps to grow our communities. The refining of our faith helps us to build healthy families. Okay, the, the reason that our faith is refined is not just so that we would feel better about ourselves. It's also so that we can share that with others, right? It's so that we can build one another up. See, the reason Peter's faith is refined is so that he can write First Peter for us today. Okay, the reason Peter's faith is refined is so that he can lead the church that he led in his day and his time. It's so that he can give encouragement and remind the people, call them back to what their identity is, what their position is with Christ that is chosen, loved. It's the refining of our faith that helps build our communities, and the refining of our faith, of our faith brings praise to God. It gives glory to him as well. There's purpose and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Our new identity is a hopeful present. It's a hopeful present, not a perfect present, not a sinless present, not a present devoid of struggle, but a present that is hopeful. So this, this, uh, that kind of walks us through verses three through nine, give or take, and it's this idea of hope and identity really being linked together. And then, and then Peter's actually gonna add one more piece to this puzzle. He's gonna talk about our past, really, and it's really interesting how Peter is, has organized 
this section of scripture to kind of remind us and call us back to, uh, remind us of, of the blessings that we have in the future, right? Our inheritance, the blessings that we have now, the refining of our faith, the joy that we have now. But then he kind of reminds us of the blessings of the past and he links us to the prophets of old, the teaching of old. And that's what verses 10 through 12 kind of address. And so let me just read them for us real quick and remind us what it says. Um, Peter says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This right here is big. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And so Peter is reminding us of the teachings of the prophets. He's reminding us to be familiar with the Old Testament. And he's also telling us that he's not teaching us anything new. In fact, all of the themes that he's pulling together today, all of these themes are pulled from the Old Testament. Think on, we have to kind of ask ourselves, well, what's, what's on Peter's mind when he's writing this letter? Well, the Psalms. Right in First and Second Kings, as we know them, right the, the story of Genesis, the story of of Israel being being slaves in Egypt, being exiled, but being brought out of that and into the Promised Land. Right, uh, the, all of these stories are the things that Peter has grown up steeped with. He has deep knowledge of. He read his Bible just like we read our Bible. Now it looked really different in his day, I'll admit. But these are the things that are on his mind when he's writing to us and reminding us, man, you are part of a bigger story. There's so much, there's such a larger picture to what's going on here, and you get to be a part of it. God is inviting us into that, and it's, it's very important in this moment, uh, especially because Peter is beginning to uh, identify the Gentiles as the chosen family right, right now, okay? So, so he's, he's reminding us that it's no longer just the Christian Jews who have the blessing of God, right? It's no longer just the Christian Jews who are chosen, it's, it's all who would call on the name of Jesus. And so he's trying to change this idea of, of a chosen family based on bloodlines and genealogies. He's trying to change that idea to, to this family that's built on belief, right? It's this family that shares joy in our future, that shares difficulty in our, in our present, but, but also is linked back to this bigger story of who we are, right? He's trying to link us all together and remind us of what it means to be a family called by God because we have called out on Jesus' name. And see, so, so it's this new family that Peter wants to tie all of us to by summarizing the works of the prophets. And so he mentions that this grace is offered as a result uh, of Jesus, this work that Jesus did. These are the things that the prophets uh, were meditating on and thinking on long before Peter was there, long before we read these scriptures. Uh, did these prophets know exactly how it was all going to turn out? No, they didn't really have a full, clear picture, um, but they prophesied about the grace that would come. They knew that a Messiah was coming. We, today, right now in the room, we get the benefit of knowing what Jesus has done. We get the benefit of living after Jesus has done his work. So these prophets, they didn't know exactly how it was going to go down, uh, but they decided to remain faithful anyways. They chose to have faith and to follow God when things were difficult. And Peter says, here's why they did that. It's for the sake of the family that would come later. For the sake of the family that would come later, for the sake of the people who are in this room reading this scripture together right now, for the sake of the future family, did these prophets go through difficulty and, and continue to write down and pursue God in, in fearless ways? It says here in that verse that I kind of highlighted, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you. They were serving their future family. 
And something these prophets and writers didn't do um, was make uh, their walk with God and the Spirit about themselves. It was no longer Project Me, all right, for these prophets. It wasn't Project Be a Better Husband or Be a Better Wife or Project, you know, Have a Better Business um, or, or uh, Project Put These Life Principles in Place so that you feel better about yourself. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't any of those things, okay? They, they realized um, what we were talking about a moment ago, that, that our faith is refined not, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of others as well, right? It's for the sake of the family that would come, right? And so, so the, the idea of, of pouring through these scriptures and pursuing God and, and, make, and walking with God, it, it becomes a group effort, right? It, it becomes no longer just about the single person, but it becomes about project family. And that's, that's why we do church together with one another is because we're walking together through, through whatever you want to call the last 18 months of reality for us. We've had to walk through it together. And, and, and remind each other of the joy that's set before us, of the inheritance that we have, and remind each other that this time of refining is building and growing a faith that can absolutely change the world, that can absolutely change Pueblo, Colorado. The difficulties we're facing now, it, it needs to become Project Family. We can walk through these things together. So Peter's linking us to this bigger story. Because the same, the same idea of project family and, and walking through difficulty together and, and, and knowing that we're unified by faith in Christ, this is something that the prophets did understand. They knew they were unified by their faith in the Messiah that would come. And we're a part of that same story. We're a part of the same tradition. And so this, this new family reminds us of God's big story. Okay? This new family pulls us into God's grand story, which is, which is the redemption of all creation. Which, which is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God coming here now, not, not later, not after we die, not when we get to heaven, but being a part of our lives now. It's a part of our lives now. And so let me just give you an encouragement by way of reminder today. This is, this is what Peter is, is reminding us of and calling us into, is that in Christ, we have a new hope, and that is based on a new identity, and that is a new identity that we get to experience deeply through a family, a family that's, that's with us right now, that's sitting, look around yourself, look around you, I'm serious, I, I make the kids do this all the time, look around you, these are the people that you can walk through trials with, these are the people that understand the joy that you have, who else will understand you like the other believers in Jesus will, who else will know one another other than the family of Christ. You have so much more in common with those, who have, uh, those of us who have given our lives to Christ than you do with any other football team fan that you're like a fan of, okay? So Broncos fans, sorry, okay? You have more in common with the family of God than you do with other Broncos fans who don't know Jesus. And that's, that's not a knock on those people, but it's a reminder for us that we experience the truth and knowledge of God as family. We walk through this as family. And so I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment here. So I'll, I'll have you bow your heads and close your eyes. But we're, we're going to walk through this moment as a family, okay? Um, in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to invite the prayer partners forward. Um, and if you need prayer in any area of your life, we just want to pray with you because that's what families do. We pray with one another. We, we intercede for one another. We stand in the gap for one another, just like Jesus has done for us. We experience this as a family.